Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zane Nockby here with you, 49ers Web Zone, No Huddle Podcast. And as always, you know the drill. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or 49erswebzone.com. And look, guys, today's going to be a bit of a therapy session for me. There's some things that I'm a little bit concerned about with this team. And I know it's preseason, and I will be the first one to tell you that you cannot read too much into the, these preseason games. Everything's very vanilla and basic, so it's tough to really get a good read and where your team stands, because they don't want to show too much right now. But still, there's things that I'm seeing that have me concerned for a team that has playoff aspirations. And some of those things are the whole line. It's just not gelling yet. And I completely understand there are three new pieces on this offensive line, and it's going to take time. It's just natural. An offensive line has to play in one cohesive unit. It's going to take time for that to happen. But the question is, how much time will it take? The Niners have a tough schedule early on. And if this team starts out one and three or two and four, that could really put them behind the eight ball. So you hope they can hit the ground running when the season starts. And that will help the running game, which has been atrocious so far in the preseason. They haven't been able to get anything going on the ground. It's been, Niners had to really rely on throwing the ball and, you know, as much as Garoppolo is the franchise and the offense is going to be centered around him, he, he's got to have some help in the running game. So that's going to be a concern. I think it'll get there eventually, but right now it's not there. And again, if it's not there early in the season, does the team get set behind a little bit? And then the biggest worry for me, and it's the one I've been talking about since last season ended, is the pass rush. I just don't see anything there. It's non-existent. I, I don't understand what the pro- thought process was, I don't know who they're going to have coming off the edge. There's some talk about moving DeForest Buckner around now because there's really no one that stood out. And that's got to be worrisome as well with some of the you know great QBs that they're playing. And, and just the NFL is a passing league. And if you can't rush the quarterback, you're going to have to win games 35 to 31. You know, I don't care who's in your secondary. If you can't rush the quarterback, they can't cover for six, seven seconds. And the other team is going to get some big plays. So a lot of stuff I'm worried about. And this will serve as a therapy session for me again to just kind of talk about and just get everything off my chest. And I'm going to run it by Zane and he can tell me if I'm crazy or if he agrees with me. And I also get to run it by our guest, the Sacramento Bees, Chris Biederman. Excited to have on the show the newest 49ers reporter for the Sacramento Bee. He is Chris Biederman. Chris, thanks for the time today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I wanted to say congratulations to you uh, for the job at Sacramento Bee. And I'm curious, how did this all come about? Can you tell us a little bit how, how you got the job, applied for the job? How did that work? Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, uh, I've, I've gotten pretty close with, with Matt Barrows uh, over the last, you know, few seasons covering, covering the team, or actually since 2013. And, um, you know, I, I, had, uh, I had an inkling that he would end up moving on. Um, but I wasn't entirely sure, you know, the B would be looking to fill its position. Um, and it just sort of happened that uh, Matt recommended me and um, I was interested and, and things sort of all fell together. Um, obviously, I, you know, I had a great time at USA Today Sports Media Group and, and running Niners Wire was a blast and I really enjoyed it. But, um, you know, you uh, sometimes it, it's best to move on and, and explore other opportunities. and. And certain opportunities have other benefits. Um, 
so you know it was uh it was it was just something that happened um pretty organically i think uh you know once matt left i gathered that there was there was interest from them and and obviously i was interested because i had been reading matt's work for a long time and uh and so it was really cool to to be able to to be in that space where you know matt i i sort of look at matt as as a as a mentor type figure and and i'm honored to to be sharing that space where where he made uh such a name for himself with his incredible coverage so i'm gonna try to uh you know i'm not gonna do the same things that he does because what i do is is gonna be a little bit different but um the standard is is gonna be just as high and uh and i'm looking forward to getting going that's the first day uh, the first, the first story and the or the first, um, I guess posts are going to be up uh, tomorrow, which is which is Friday, and then uh, or Thursday. Sorry, it's been a it's been a hectic week, and then uh, and then we're off to Indianapolis this weekend. It's awesome, and it's got to be cool for you to make a move like that and still stay within stay within the same team. I mean, you have such a following, and it's not like you have to jump to another organization or another team. You could stay with the Niners, so that's got to be fun for you. Yeah, and honestly, one of the things that excites me most is is my mom lives in Sacramento, so it's pretty cool that um, you know I haven't I haven't worked for a newspaper since college, so the fact that my mom will be able to pick up her newspaper from the driveway every day and see my work is is a really cool thing, and and I take a lot of pride in that, and I and I'm you know really happy that that gets to happen. That's awesome, and and the fan base is excited to to have you doing it. I know you're definitely a fan favorite, so we're looking forward to reading your work now. Chris, I'm a little bit nervous right now, and I think it's completely irrational. I still like this team. I still like where they're headed, but there's things in the preseason, and you can't read too much in the preseason, but there's some things right now that just are kind of bothering me, and I'm wondering where, where it's going to head where it's gonna head as the season goes on. And where I want to start out was the O-line. And look, there's, there's new pieces on this O-line. There's three new guys, so it's going to take some time to gel. I guess my question would be is how long do you think this is going to take to gel? Is this something that's going to last a few weeks into the regular season where it could set this team back a little ways because they do have a tough schedule early on and it may take a little while for the group up front to get where they need to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, regardless of, you know, Jarek McKinnon's injury or Matt Breida's injury or the fact that the running game hasn't looked good. I sort of look at those first four games and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they started one and three, um, but on, on the other side of that, they do have a very home, home friendly schedule as the season goes on and, and particularly late in the year. So I, I'm sort of going into this expecting them to, to do sort of what they did last year with, you know, maybe things aren't perfect early, but then they make a run late in the year. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of the offensive line and the running game, I mean, we saw the offensive line look pretty good during training camp and, and I thought the running game at times looked, looked, looked good too. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, how Derek McKinnon's injury impacts his acclimation to the offense. Because I think going into it, uh, as a lot of people did, you look at McKinnon's skill set and his speed and his athleticism and his running style and the fact that, you know, Kyle Shanahan said, and uh, this is the best free agent running back on the market. Um, I, you know, I had high expectations. I am thinking, you know, maybe he's a Devontae Freeman uh, the type of, of runner within the system and the fact that he's, he's a lot faster and more athletic than Freeman, that, um, this, this could be a, a, a boon for the 49ers. But, you know, with the injury, uh, you, you start to wonder if those concerns about his viability as sort of the featured running back, um, you know, are, are those concerns valid? And compounding that issue is Matt Breida's shoulder injury, which, 
came during blitz pickup, and and that's the one concern you have with a with a two hundred pound running back is how is he going to hold up um, in physical situations like that. So not only are there questions about Brita, or sorry McKinnon, which which I think are 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 valid at this point. Um, it's compounded by the fact that his backup isn't healthy either, and so mm-hmm. you wonder if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have the necessary tools to to balance out the offense. Um, and, and ultimately I think it, it should work out okay. Uh, but there are concerns just because, you know, that the, the early season is, is the schedule is really tough starting with week one in Minnesota. And Shanahan mentioned that he wouldn't rule out taking four running backs into the season, you know, because his top two are so banged up. Who do you think would get those spots behind McKinnon and Brita? I think Raheem Mostert is going to make the team. Um, I've thought that all along. You, you could see it in OTAs. He was getting a lot of first-team reps ahead of guys like Joe Williams, and now Joe Williams is hurt. And I would be very surprised if he's made the team both from if he makes the team both from a health perspective and a productivity perspective. He just hasn't been particularly good in training camp or the preseason now. <clears throat> and he's hurt. So um, if he stays on the team, I would expect him to go on injured reserve again, and maybe he's given the return designation um i do think alfred morris has a really good shot to make the team we'll know a lot more about where alfred morris stands after saturday's game um because i i would expect him to play i think the team expects him to expects him to play and he's been a durable player throughout his career he's you know the last two seasons with the cowboys he played 14 games and and his first four years with with washington he didn't miss any starts um he started all 16 games those, those first four years so um, I would expect Morris to be there. Uh, they're going to have an open roster spot the first two weeks of the season because of Reuben Foster's suspension. So maybe that mm-hmm. allows them to keep full running backs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And, uh, and, you know, of course we gotta, we gotta keep track of McKinnon and, and Burita and their health because I think that's, those are the two most important factors for the running game hitting in. And another hole that has me worried is the one that a lot of people expected. And that's, that's the pass rush. What have you seen there so far? And do you think guys like Marsh, Marsh and Atashi will be able to step up when the real games begin? I, to be honest, I, I haven't seen any indication that, um, that those guys are, are going to be reliable and, and be uh, impactful enough to, to make a difference that, that they need. I, I'm, I'm starting to think, based on what we've seen from Sheldon Day um, and DJ Jones, and, uh, and you know, obviously DeForest Buckner is, is going to be fine. I wonder if Sheldon Day is going to allow them to play DeForest Buckner on the edge more because Sheldon Day plays three technique um, and he's been the one spelling DeForest Buckner and, you know, with the second team in practice or, you know, when Buckner gets a blow here and there. So you wonder, I, I personally think DeForest Buckner is their best edge rusher at the moment. And I think that's, you know, that's a credit to Buckner, but it's also an indictment of those guys you mentioned, Marsh and Atauchu. So, you know, you wonder if the Niners go into the season with a third down package where Sheldon Day's on the field because he does pretty well at pushing the pocket from the inside. And it, it's, it adds another advantage because you can move to Forrest Buckner to the edge and maybe he turns into that Calais Campbell type player this year. Um, you know, the Jaguars got a ton of production from Calais Campbell after moving him to the edge. And obviously people make that comparison just based on, you know, their size and their skill sets. I think they're, they're pretty similar players. And so it's something that they've been tinkering with. I know they've been tinkering with it in dime packages. They've had Solomon Thomas, you know, line up inside. Um, they've, they've gone with like a three down lineman look with, with Buckner at one edge, Thomas on the inside, and then one of their pass rushers on the other side. 
Um, I'm curious if, if they have to get creative to generate a pass rush because I just, I don't know if, if they're going to line up Marsh and Atauchu and, and that's going to be effective enough. And, and to be honest, I, I'm not entirely sure Atauchu is going to make the team just because, you know, going into that Houston game, Houston is one of the worst offensive lines in the league and Atauchu really didn't do a whole lot against their backups. Um, so I wasn't there in Houston on, uh, to, to watch them practice, but, uh, you wonder if if the 49ers are going to find value in a roster spot elsewhere rather than um, sticking a Tauchu out there if if they're not going to play him all that much because they're playing Buckner on the edge and that takes away one of those edge spots because Sheldon Day is playing so well. So there's uh, there there are a bunch of different factors that go into it, but yeah, I think there's there's plenty of reasons to be concerned about Cassius Marsh and Jeremiah Tauchu in terms of them you know, both providing enough punch off the edge to, to make a meaningful difference in the pass rush. Yeah, and Elvis Doomerville was brought up on the conference call, and I thought Shanahan was going to shut that down immediately, and he, he didn't. He kind of left the door open for it, which 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 was telling to me that he, he can't be happy with what he sees. And what happened with, this, with the edge rusher? Did they just completely drop the ball on this, or was this just something that they said to themselves, okay, we can address it next year because we're still in the process of rebuilding? Uh, what do you think their approach was this offseason? Well, there wasn't uh, the the free agent market. There, there just weren't many viable options that that would provide meaningful upgrades. Um, and they didn't love this group of edge rushers in the draft, which was surprising to me. You know, because Harold Landry is a guy who I wrote about a lot leading mm-hmm. up to the draft, who's actually looked pretty well, with, who's played pretty well with Tennessee early on. Yeah. Um, they yeah. didn't like him more than than Dante Pettis. You know, they really liked Dante Pettis, and I think I think that. Um, you know, their faith in Dante Pettis is, has been, um, you know, is valid based on what we've seen so far. But they just, I don't think they like the options. And uh, and maybe there's, there's you know, maybe they always thought Doomerville um, would be there for him, and he is at the moment. But, um, you know, we don't know if, if adding Elvis Doomerville this late in the process after training camp is over um, in time, just in time for the regular season, we have no idea what kind of shape he's in. Um, he obviously hasn't participated in an off-season program. He won't have participated in training camp. So is he just going to come in and, and be in good enough shape to to provide value um, with a roster spot? I, I, don't, I don't know that to be true. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it is a possibility. And I also think Shanahan isn't afraid to, to light a fire under his guys by saying, mm-hmm. yeah, we could bring back Elvis if, if you guys don't pick it up. Um, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Shanahan is, if, if he's anything, he's, he's brutally honest. And, and I don't think, I, I think that's, I think part of that is by design. And I also think part of that is because he's just bad at lying. And I think he would admit that to you, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which is rare among football coaches, which we all appreciate. But, um, but I do think Doomerville is, is definitely a possibility. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he's, going to be brought in for a workout at any point and uh and it wouldn't surprise me if he signed based on based on what we've seen up from their edge players so far and we talked a little bit about the defensive line and the Niners have done so well the past couple of years late in the draft and last year especially with guys like Kittle and Taylor and Adrian Colbert and one of the other late round picks last year six round pick DJ Jones who played a little bit last year and, and had some potential but wow he's he's looked great in the preseason, are you surprised with how far he's come? And do you think he could really push his way into a meaningful role? 
No, I'm not really surprised because I know they were really high on him. And I think, um, you know, if, if they were drafting five years ago and, and those tackles had more value in the league with, you know, with the league running offenses, running the ball a lot more, Jones might have been picked a lot higher. He's a crazy athlete. Um, he can dunk a basketball, which, uh, you know, at six foot and 300 pounds says a lot about his athleticism. And he's also one of the strongest guys in terms of, you know, bench press and, and things like that in the weight room. So his athleticism um, has stood out since he came into the league and, and he's lost a bunch of weight this year and he seems even more explosive than he was. So no, I'm not really surprised at all. I, I'm a little bit curious to see, uh, you know, with Sheldon Day, who can play some nose tackle with DJ Jones, with Earl Mitchell, do the Niners keep all three of those guys or do mm-hmm. they try to move off Mitchell's cap number? Um, just because there might not be a ton of value in having three capable nose tackles, or if if they just if they like Earl Mitchell and, and base downs and, and as a locker room leader enough to keep him around, despite maybe having a need elsewhere on the roster for for another you know add another spot. Um, but no, DJ Jones to me, I, I knew they were high on him last year. I think they thought they would get more value out of him, um, you know, than he would be he would be more valuable than than your standard sixth round pick um and i think they view him as a long-term guy at nose tackle but it will be interesting to see just how much uh he eats in the earl mitchell snaps this year or if he displaces mitchell altogether i'm not expecting that but it wouldn't be altogether surprising either one of the topics i've been discussing on the show that i'm a little concerned about is is CJ Bathard's play so far. And, and look, we don't even want to think about life without Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he looks every bit of the franchise player that they expected him to be. But Bathard, to me, you know, he's banged up now, but he hasn't really looked good in the first, first couple preseason games. And I've heard in camp that he's been up and down too. Do you think he's still locked into the backup job or can Nick Mullins really make a push here? I think he's still locked into the backup job, um, but the foot injury this week is a little bit concerning. And, and obviously, if it's an issue that keeps him out for any extended period of time, the 49ers would have to put him on injured reserve um, and maybe Mullins would, would become the backup. Um, I, I still, you know, I, I, I'm with you in that I don't love just making all, all of my assumptions off, off preseason performances. But yeah, it's been a little bit um, alarming considering he, he played better than he did last year. And, and I don't know if you know, the situation he's in now is, is impacting him from, from any sort of mental standpoint. Um, I know he, you know, nobody would be thrilled to be put in that situation last year where, um, you know, you're the starting quarterback and then all of a sudden the team out of nowhere trades for a potential, you know, starting quarterback and, and face of the franchise and then give that guy a $137.5 million contract. C.J. Beathard's not in a great spot. So you wonder um, how he's how he's adjusting to that mentally, and how that is impacting his play, if it is at all, or if maybe he's just a little bit banged up, or if none of this really matters, and he would be fine in a situation where he's playing with the starting offense with uh, with Kyle Shanahan calling real plays, not just you know his vanilla version of his playbook. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think it is a little bit concerning, um, Bethard's play. I think I'm more concerned about his injury at this point, to be honest. Um, but you know, I, I, I would expect him to, to make the team and, and be the backup. Um, I don't know that Kyle Shanahan is, is all of a sudden going to give up on a guy, um, who he used a third round pick on 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that just after a couple of bad preseason performances, I, I still think Beathard's safe. But, um, but you know, stranger things have happened, and, and Beathard, you know, the 49ers have to hope that he's healthy entering the season because they are going to need a backup quarterback. In this new helmet rule, it just, it just seems like a disaster. And it even has the, has the players speaking out already. Richard Sherman's one guy who's been very vocal about it. Do you think the NFL needs to rethink this? Um. Yeah, I, I think uh, I understand where the league is coming from, and obviously they're prioritizing the, the safety of, of players. I, I do think there is a process that exists where they could find a happy medium to where they can enforce the rule in obvious situations where people are leading with their heads in a dangerous way. But, you know, like everyone's been pointing out, uh, if you make a tackle with your shoulder, it's impossible not to lean with your head. And yep. you're tackling you're tackling a moving target, and oftentimes your helmet is is going to hit that person. So you know, I, I I would expect the league to maybe maybe if not this year, the next year, if they're going to keep enforcing this rule like they are, to come up with some sort of replay apparatus to where they're not going to the booth and going to a commercial after every one of these plays, I think there, you know, we can all see the replay very quickly at, at home and, and on TV with the replays. It, it, we, can make a, we can make a decision in 10, 20 seconds, and we have the technology to relay that decision down to the, down to the referees on the field. I, I don't think it's fair to ask these referees to make a decision in real time based on one play that takes three-tenths of a second. Um, because, you know, anytime that you hear the words point of emphasis, they're going to throw, throw the flag if they think it's even close to a foul. So with, with the leading, with the, with the penalty being a point of emphasis and, and leading with the helmet being a point of emphasis, they're going to call it more times than not. And maybe that changes in, in the regular season and, and they're just, they're just being overly precautious in the preseason. But I would think there's a way that, you know, if there's a flag, they can throw the flag. Someone from the replay booth upstairs can can look at it for 10, 15 seconds and say, no, that's a clean hit. Uh, then they pick up the flag and then they keep it moving. Um, I think that would be the best way to go. Obviously, you want them to get the call right. But I, I also, uh, I personally am not a huge fan of replay. I think it, it can slow the game down. And, and if you add another thing uh, that can that's reviewable, then you're really going to start having a lot of, you know, four hour games. And, and I don't know that necessarily anybody wants that. So there's a way where you could do it quickly. And, and if I were, if I were, you know, on the competition committee and, and making the rules, that's the avenue I would try to go down. Um, because I do understand where the league is coming from, from the safety standpoint. All right, Chris, we really appreciate the time today. Best of luck to you with the Sacramento Bee. We're all very happy for you in your new role. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Chris. All right, Zane. So like I said in the opening, and not that I want the show to be completely negative, but this is just me talking, getting my my irrational or maybe they're irrational. I don't know. Getting these fears out right now, because some of the things that I'm seeing, I'm just wondering if this is a team that's going to be carried by their quarterback because some of these holes are starting to scare me. So let's go to the pass rush, which was, dude, was just non-existent, non-existent mm-hmm. in week two of the preseason this team doesn't look like they have anyone who's going to be able to get to the quarterback on a consistent basis. And it just goes back to me. Like I, I do like what they have going on on the inside. And I think Buckner and Thomas are, are going to be good in there. You know, I, I, 
I, I like guys on the on the defensive line. There's a lot of depth there, and we'll get into that with how Sheldon Day and, and DJ Jones and how these guys are coming along. But they're, the pass rush is not there, dude. And they didn't address it. And look, I, Lynch and Shanahan are really smart, and eventually they're going to get this right. But they had opportunities this offseason to address it somehow, and maybe it wasn't there in free agency, but there, there could have been somebody, you know, guys in the draft they could have taken a shot on. This will hold the 49ers back. I cannot go into the season and tell myself that, oh, yeah, Tachu's going to be fine. Yeah, the only reason he wasn't good is because he was a little banged up and he was behind Bosa and Ingram. If he was that good, he would have played more. You know, mm-hmm. we would have seen it already. Oh, Cassius March played pretty well towards the end of last season. He, he's going to be fine. How many teams has March been on? He hasn't stuck on anywhere. Where does he have six career sacks? He's not a pure pass rusher. They don't have a pure pass rusher. The best pass rusher they have is Buckner. And I know there's been a lot of talk now. Maybe you put Buckner on the outside, but is that taking him away from his strength? I, I don't know. And, and they probably should move Buckner around a little bit. But to me, there's no bigger glaring issue than the pass rush. They have a really tough schedule to start out with. You know, you're, you're playing Kirk Cousins. You've you got to play Aaron Rodgers. There's, there's a, Matthew Stafford. There's quarterbacks that can sit and pick them apart. They cannot expect to be one of the upper echelon teams if they have to win games 35 to 31 because they can't rush the passer. The pass rush, it, it scares me too. And this is one of those things that goes all the way back to the Solomon Thomas pick. And I'm not, I'm not saying Solomon Thomas is a bad player in any, in any respect. But I'm, what I'm saying is that they were hoping to get more of a pass rush out of him. And I think they're realizing now that he's not, he's not a pass rusher. Um, there was a, a report today that, that I read on Twitter that they may try DeForest Buckner in that Leo role, which is, which is crazy to me because he's so dominant inside. But you hit the nail on the head, Al. Like you talked about these guys that are pretty much journeymen that they're trying to put into a full-time pass rushing role. And these guys, the talent just, it's not there. Like it's, it's a glaring weakness. They had zero sacks in the last preseason game against the Texans. And that's everybody. That's guys that are, that are competing against third and fourth stringers. Even those guys couldn't get a sack. So it's not necessarily the scheme. I think Robert Sala's scheme works. I just think that they don't have the proper personnel there. They're trying to model themselves in terms of uh, a talent perspective behind the, the old Buccaneers teams that John Lynch was on. I don't know if you remember those teams, but they had Warren Sapp and Booger McFarland in the middle, yeah. and those guys would have, you know, Warren Sapp had dub- double-digit sacks every year, and McFarland would be good for six or seven sacks a year, and they really didn't have a dominant edge rusher until Simeon Rice came. And when Simeon Rice came, everything changed. But that should tell them, that should tell them that they need a dominant edge rusher, because it, it, it changes the entire outlook of your defense and your team if you've got a guy that can get the ball back for your offense on a turnover or get a big sack or prevent, you know, th- th- there's a world, there's a litany of things that a, a good pass rusher can do. It makes your corners better. So they've talked about bringing Elvis Dumerville back, which is something that I would fully support. I don't think they should have cut him in the first place. You and I were both on that same boat. Like, why mm-hmm. did they get rid of him? But I think that the idea is that, that they know that Dumerville doesn't need a full training camp to get ready. Like, he's just going right. to be ready as it is, and he'll be able to go. And I think that when it comes down to it, they are going to have to address the pass rush either internally or they're going to have to sign Dumerville because you can't platoon pass rush. It has to be a position that there has to be a solid starter in this, in this particular defense. Like, you have to have some outside presence. I think that they're probably going to put Solomon Thomas inside with DeForest Buckner. And like you said, that's going to be great. I think they're going to be really good there, but they just they just haven't they haven't done enough. They they should have they should have done something in some something in the draft. They drafted Contavious Street, who was not even going to play this year. I felt like they could have gone with a pass rusher there, 
And it's just uh, it's just one of those things where you could have seen this coming from a mile away, and I think that they're realizing a little bit too late. Look, these guys aren't perfect either, right? Like you know, they they make mistakes as well, uh, and I think that this is one of the biggest mistakes they made in the offseason. The Doomerville thing was crazy to me because on the conference call it was Matt Mayoko who asked him the question. I'm pretty sure it sounded like Matt anyway, um, who asked him the question about Doomerville, and I thought as soon as he said it, okay, like Kyle is just going to deflect this, and he didn't. You know, he's the first thing he said is, you know, I, I, something along the lines of, you know, we're, we're looking to improve everywhere type thing. But he left the door open for Doomerville. And honestly, listening to Kyle on that call, like he seemed that he was a little bit annoyed. You know, I don't know if I was reading into it. He wasn't annoyed with any of the questions that anyone asked. He just seemed like he was a little bit annoyed, whether it was with the pass rush or the play or this ridiculous helmet rule that we'll get into. But he just seemed like he was a little bit annoyed. And, and when the Doomerville thing came up, he, he didn't dismiss it. You know, he left mm-hmm. it as a possibility. So, Maybe he is seeing things in camp that he doesn't like. I, I just, and I said this on the show before, and, and again, I lo- I think John Lynch and Cal Shanahan have done an amazing job so far. For year two of the rebuild, the, the guys that they've drafted, I mean, just amazing. So I'm not really knocking them. Just the one thing that Lynch has done since she started that, that made me scratch my head is when they asked him about the pass rusher, and he made the comment that you just don't come in and take Cassius Marsh's job. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> Yes, you do. You know, if if, if there's somebody that can't yeah. come in and take that job, then then you have an issue. And, and that just kind of blew me away. And I'm sure it's lip service. I'm sure he's trying to talk up the guys that he has because they know this is not a one and a half year rebuild or two year rebuild or whatever. It's, it's going to take some time. And they, I'm sure that they understand they're ahead of the curve because of what they did by getting Garoppolo. But there's no way, there's no way they can feel good about what they're seeing on the field. There, there, there's no way. And that first game against Minnesota is going to be really tough. And, and I know, you know, Cousins is coming into a new team and week one's always funky. But if he is what he is with those receivers, if, if you give give time for Diggs and Thielen and those guys, the Cousins is going to pick you apart. I don't care who's in the secondary. You know, we can hope that Richard Sherman is the Richard Sherman of old and, and he makes a difference, but he can't cover for six seconds. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? If, if that's the case. So. We'll see what happens with you it. can't send you can't send extra, extra guys every play like you can't send right. the blitz every play it's and just not going to work. Do right. They're going to have to get creative, right? Yeah, yeah. And the thing with the thing with Vic Fangio, I loved Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. Like I thought that first of all, I thought that he should have been a head coach instead of Tom Sula, but that's not mm-hmm. that's a conversation mm-hmm. for another time. Yeah, he but deserved that. Yeah. The the beauty of, of Vic Fangio defense was that they were able to get pressure with the front four. Now, you had a, a generational pass rusher in Alden Smith, who would have been one of the best pass rushers ever if he could have kept his nose clean. And you had Justin Smith on the other side, who was a highly underrated player that used to occupy blockers. You don't have that same sort of talent here, so you're not going to get that same sort of production. But their idea of trying to get a, a rush with only four guys is not working right now. So like you said, they, they have to get creative, and they have to do it without having to blitz guys. Right, and and I don't. I, we're gonna have to see if that can actually happen. And despite what's going on in the edges, I, I do really love the defensive line. Shifting over to a positive for once in the show right now, but um, I do love the defensive <laughs> line, and um, it's all negative right now with me. I don't know what my problem is, but I'm, I'm gonna do some a little, positive sal- a little here, salty so. today. I'm a little, a little salty, salty, a little bit. I don't know why, man. That- I just. Are you upset that the A's passed the Yankees in the wild card? Like, are you upset about that? Like, the- that didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen, did that- it? Not yet, not yet. Pretty it's close, not going to happen, dude. It's like, the Yanks have, <laughs> we'll like, see. the Yanks, dude, Didi's out, Judge is out, Sanchez is out, and they're still, like, like 77 and 44. They're going to be fine. going to be fine. <laughs> anyway, getting back on track here. Um, Sheldon Day, DJ Jones, Julian Taylor, these guys, these guys are bringing so much depth to that defensive line, and the mm-hmm. run defense has been outstanding. For as bad as the pass rush has been saying, the run defense has been great in the first two preseason games. 
they've only allowed 3.35 yards per carry. And if you take out QB runs, I think Prescott had a 12-yard run and Joe Webb had some a few runs there. To running backs, they're allowing 3.1 yards per carry. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I expect to carry into the season with Buckner and Thomas and, and guys like Jones and Day rotating in there. Uh, they're going to they're gonna be really good against the run. They will. They will. And this is the strength of the defense. We knew that they would be good against the run because Solomon Thomas excels as a run stuffer. DeForest Buckner, he excels at everything, but especially as a run stuffer as well. And now you add guys like Julian Taylor, who nobody, you know, the seventh round has been really good to the 49ers the last couple of years. <laughs> and Julian Taylor is another example Great. of that. And he, he has stepped in there right away and, and he's, he's mean, he's aggressive. He, he's strong at the point of attack. Like he's your prototypical defensive tackle on the inside. And I think that they're comfortable playing him while Eric Armstead is out. Like you can even make the case that Julian Taylor is pushing Eric Armstead for the starting slot, which is crazy oh, sure. to think. Sure. But Julian Taylor, he's been that good. So I think that in terms of run, run stopping, this defense can be like top 10 easily. But the issue again is with the pass rush. And if teams, they, if they run play action and if they like one thing about Solomon Thomas is that as good of a run defender as he is, he bites hard on play action. I, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that he's learned from his rookie year, but there'll be countless times in his rookie year where he was, where he was crashing down hard on play action. The quarterback would, would bootleg out and he'd have either an open, you know, an entire open field, or he'd be able to find somebody that was open down the sideline. So there are some things that they need to work out, but run, run stopping is not, it's, it's not one of them. I think that Sheldon day was a great pickup last year. They got him on the cheap and he, he provided great depth. I think that Earl Mitchell is going to be is going to be he's he's your stalwart in there. He's your veteran presence. And I don't know. That's interrupt. I don't know if he's going to make the team. Really? I, I yeah. I I think if Jones keeps ascending and you have Sheldon Day there, he he could end up being he he might be one of those surprise cuts. I can yeah, I can first. see that because of his <laughs> yeah hot hot take from Al. Hot, here hot take. <laughs> salty Al. Salt hot take from Salty Al. Hot and salty cake. Um, <laughs> that's. That sounds bad. Um, so anyways, <laughs> uh, I think that Earl Mitchell, you're right. He is one of the veteran guys on the team. He's one of the oldest defenders that they have. He's, he's I believe, turning 32 years old and you know, it, it, uh, or 31 years old. And I think that they may give way to one of the younger guys if, if one of these guys steps up. So he may be one of those guys. He was the first free agent addition last year for John Lynch. Um, so he was one of those guys that he was helping to, John Lynch was hoping to build around. But like you say, if one of these young bucks pushes them for playing time, then, then you never know. I really just think that you can never have enough healthy defensive linemen. You're seeing it right now, right? Like with injuries and things like it's that, true. like you need to have, you need to have a whole slew of guys that can play the position. So I think that's going to be a tough decision, but you're right. One of these guys who's deserving of playing will get cut. And they just picked up, what's his name? Was it Chris, Chris Jones. Is that his name they brought back? Yeah. So I think I mean, that's a camp body because, uh, I did too. you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think Chris Jones is, is necessarily going to make the team. He he played on the team because of injuries a couple of years ago, but I don't think he's going he's gonna to make the final roster. And something else. What else am I mad about? I'm mad about everything right now. All right, so <laughs> these two things go together, and the running game has just been awful, awful. Yeah. And what goes along with that is the offensive line play, which, again, has, has not been good. It just they're, they're not playing as a unit yet. And at the right guard position, look, so we'll start, we'll start off with the line. The right guard position that, you know, they've had person in there, they've had Garnett in there. I actually thought Garnett played pretty well this, this mm-hmm. past game, which, which was great to see because I, I, I'm, I'm outwardly rooting for him 
to to win the starting mm-hmm. guard job right now. Look, I'm not even going to hide it. I want him to win it. I want him mm-hmm. to be locked in for the next three years. That position, it's the best thing for the team. And I thought he did okay. But the line as a unit is not playing well right now. And let me preface by saying this this is to be expected because you have three new pieces. You have Richburg is a new center in a new offense. You're going to have a new right guard, whoever that is. You have a rookie right tackle. Tomlinson, we'll see what he is. We don't know. And obviously, don't worry about Joe Staley. But there are a lot of new pieces on this offensive line, so it's bound to struggle. And you can see there's just there's just like kind of one guy who's missing an assignment or not getting to where he needs to be, and it's kind of blowing everything up. And yes, you have to practice patience with that and say, okay, it's going to take some time. But here's what scares me. If that's going to take some time, Zane, they have, they have a brutal schedule to start the season. They're at Minnesota. They're home to Detroit. They're at Kansas City. They're at the Chargers. They're home to the Cardinals. They're at Green Bay. They're home, they're home to the Rams. They're at Arizona. There's some tough defenses there. If that offensive line takes four or five weeks to get going, Niners can be in a hole. And, and that's what scares me right now. I think, that, I think they're going to get there. You know, I think in 2019, look out for this line. But the beginning of the season, again, if it, it, it could be ugly. It could be ugly. It's something I'm worried about. The whole premise behind the whole zone blocking scheme that the 49ers run is that it takes it does take time for the offensive line to gel because each one of those guys is responsible for a, for a specific uh, block or place in that in that offense, um, and it and it does require a little bit more synchronization than a regular blocking scheme does. And the zone blocking scheme is basically what the, the, the Denver Broncos ran when Terrell Davis was there. It's, it's the same sort of scheme that they, that uh, Gary Kubiak ran, who was the offensive coordinator at that time. So it is, it is going to take some time for these guys to gel. But uh, there are certain things that kind of, that kind of get to me. Like, I, I know this is only preseason, but Western Richburg taking, like, taking that dumb penalty on sportsmanlike conduct penalty. I, you're, you're a veteran, man. Like, you yeah, can't Shanahan was mad about that. He was, Shanahan was, was, he was mad. He was mad about that. Yeah. Like he's he's I mean Staley's a veteran of the group. Richburg is is another veteran of that group, right? You got to be better than that. Like you got to know that guys are going to coming after you, and immediately after uh, Garoppolo threw the interception, which which I'll get to later. But as far as as the right side of the offensive line, which is really what I'm worried about, uh, you've got McGlinchey there, who's actually played pretty well. Like I'm I'm I've been pretty happy with this progression. Like he's not me too. He's further along than I expected. And he's he's been you know he's pretty been pretty sound at the right tackle spot. He didn't really I believe on 15 dropbacks he did not give up pressure. So in in this last game against Houston, so I think that he's he's starting to come into his own and get the get the playbook and be able to be comfortable on the right side. It's that right guard spot that bothers me the most. And Josh Garnett, like he's not he's not the the body type or he wasn't the body type to be able to play in this offense. And he went into that transformation with his body where he lost weight and became more athletic somehow in the offseason. And he played pretty well as, as the starter. So I think that he'll probably win that job just by default because there are, like, Jonathan Cooper's hurt. Uh, person is kind of a backup. Magnuson is going to be out for a while. So just by default, Josh Garnett may win that. Um, and on the other side, you have Lakin Tomlinson, who won that left guard job. He played pretty well after Jimmy Garoppolo came in last year. Didn't have a great first half of the year. He's another first round kind of cast off like Jonathan Cooper. And obviously Joe Staley's the stalwart, but how many how much longer can you rely on him? He's in his mid thirties. He's towards the tail end of his career. You have to think of a replacement for him and maybe they'll flip McGlinchy over. But the problem is is that if you do that, then you're constantly changing, shuffling pieces on the offensive line and they don't mm-hmm. get any reps together. Right. And that's what they need. They need the same five guys starting each and every game. Like, this is not the same sort of scheme as Jim Harbaugh ran, but what made that team so dominant? 
they had over the, the years that he coached, the first three years, the, the three championship game years, they, he had the same starting offensive line for the majority of all of those three years. Like you could, you could switch out uh, uh, Goodwin, I believe, was, was the center in the first year, and they, and they got rid of him after that um, uh, in 2013, I believe. So other than that, like there are, they were all the same. So I think they need that same sort of continuity with this offensive line. And, and when you have that right guard spot kind of shuffling in and out, you don't get that. And they're eventually going to have to settle on, on, on one guy to play right guard, and I think it will be Garnett. With regards to, to how they're fo- uh, shifting focus on the running game or how they affect the running game, you know, like, I don't think that they're running a lot of the plays that you'll see in the, in the regular season now. I really don't, honestly. Like, I, I don't think right. that they're, they're tipping their hand. Like, they have a lot of vanilla runs. They don't have very much misdirection. There are no end-arounds from Marquise Goodwin. There's, no, there's nothing of it like that. You saw a little bit of bootleg and play-action stuff this game. You didn't see any of that in the first game. But I really think they're keeping everything close to the vest because I, I have faith in Kyle Shanahan and his running scheme. I feel like that he can put together a successful running game and that Jarek McKinnon and Matt Breida will be the guys to execute that. Um, Alfred Morris was, was a surprise signing, and, and you guys talked about that last week. Um, and, and I think that he's probably going to make the team. But right now, you have to remember that the top two running backs are also out. Like these guys that are playing, like Jeremy McNichols and Raheem Mostert, they're not going to start during the season. So part of the part of the 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 frustration with the running game is that you're not, you don't have your starters in there and you don't know what's going to happen. So I think that it has to be taken with a grain of salt. I'm worried, but I'm not ready to like you know raise a red flag and be like this is going to be an issue. I think eventually it's gonna, it's going to straighten itself out. I just hope, like I said, it's it's not week eight. I hope it's something that they can get going soon because when things mm-hmm. do get more complicated, you know, when they are running those plays, hopefully they're able to run them and it, it doesn't become an issue. And yeah, before I get into the running backs, I do want to wish you mentioned Eric Magnuson. We do want to wish him well. Um, Shanahan had said it'd be about six to eight weeks for him to come back. And I actually reached out to him just to, you know, wish him well. And he said, you know, he'll be all right. You know, it's just going to take some time. So, we, you know, we really like Eric and, and we thought he was going to be a good swing lineman. We still do for this team. So best wishes to him. And, and we want to see him on the field very soon. So Absolutely. also now, yeah, he's he's just a great dude. So, but looking at the running backs, so yeah, and and again, we haven't really seen McKinnon on the field. You know, Breida and McKinnon got hurt so early in the, in that first preseason game that what can you say? You know, we have, we haven't seen them get carries, and and they're, they're going to be the main two guys this year, and I, I think they'll they'll be fun to watch. Now, the Alfred Morris thing was really interesting to me because now I feel like they're going to keep four running backs. I don't think there's any way around it, and I think most of it makes mm-hmm. the team based on special teams. And then I think that that next guy is going to be Alfred Morris. Joe Williams is hurt now. He's probably going to go on IR again. Maybe they'll try to stash him away one more time, I guess. But he hasn't been exactly letting the world on fire. And we'll see with, Mc, with McNichols. But Niners running backs in the first two games at 50 carries for 159 yards in the preseason, which is just under 3.2 yards a carry. And if you take out Mostert's first game where he had eight carries for 57 yards, it's 42 carries for 102 yards. So Niners running backs without that game for Mostert, two point for two yards per carry. So that's really bad. The running game just hasn't gotten going yet. And the offense, uh, you know, when Jimmy hasn't been in there, has looked a little bit clunky. Mullins has done a pretty good job. Beathard's been, if you're not worried about CJ Beathard right now, I don't know what to tell you. He just yeah. doesn't look. And I know he, he he's banged up with his foot right now or whatever, but he's probably entrenched in that number two spot. But Nick Mullins is, is playing well, and you have to think if this continues and, and Beathard continues to look to run hot and cold and look like he's not progressing, maybe Mullins pushes him. Because to me, I'm sorry, Beathard has not looked look good. He's getting passes batted down at the line of scrimmage. He just he looks kind of clunky back there. 
Nothing looks really smooth. And I, I hope that in his second season, we would start to see him give a little bit more grasp of the offense and look better. And I, I, again, I just don't know. Yeah, I think that, so there's, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. So the, the running backs, man, you, you, you're just like spitting out the, the facts. Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is tonight. Let's start with the running backs. So the running backs, I think that, um, Joe, Joe Williams, I, at some point he has to show something, right? Like he had the, the drop pass that ended up as an interception and he hasn't been very good running the ball. And he, he looks, he's one of those guys that looks great in practice, but he just doesn't translate to the field. So he was, he was a draft pick last year and you don't want to give up any draft picks that early. And he was hurt all of last year, maybe hurt this year again. And I just, I just think that they're going to have to eventually see something out of him to, to keep him. And because he keeps taking up an IR spot and a roster spot, um, they have different IR spots with with uh, uh, a designation return that he could possibly go on, but I think that at this point, um, you have a si- similar situation as they did with like him, Tim Hightower when they brought him in, and uh, Alfred Morris is obviously a, a better running back right now than Tim Hightower was when the 49ers brought him in, but I think that they need that sort of bruising sort of back to be able to to handle some carries and and take some of the load off of McKinnon and Breda because. We mentioned this a few weeks ago that neither of those guys have been a full-time starter and, and had, neither of them, I believe, have had over 150 carries. So it's, that's not a lot of work for a running back. And mm-hmm. to make one of those guys a, a full-time starter, it's, it's a big leap. It's a big leap of faith that they're trying to take. And they're not just going to be carrying the ball. These guys are also going to be catching the ball too. Remember, Kyle Shanahan offense, like the running back has to do it all. He has to block. He has to catch the ball. He has to run the ball. Like they... they they use the running backs extensively out in patterns. So these aren't just guys that will just tote the ball. You just turn around and they tote the ball every time um, you, you, you want to run a, a, run a play. It's, it's a multifaceted sort of skill set that they're looking for. And I think that, uh, you know, Alfred Morris, he, he's going to be one of those guys that doesn't necessarily have that skill set, but he'll, he'll bring something else to the table. Um, he's, he's a decent blocker. Uh, you know, he can run up the middle. Between the between the tackles, and I think that he's he's pretty sure-handed in terms of catching the ball. So I think that that's why they brought him in. Um, as far as the other guys, man, you know McNichols is not going to make the team. Um, Joe Williams, as you said, may go on IR. Mostert, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I have my own thoughts on special teams. Al, like, I think that like he, he will probably make the team, but I mean, I think that there's there's other potential for getting special teamers out of, out of the defensive backfield. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. I think I'm done complaining. I think that was everything <laughs> I wanted to complain about. That, do you want to react to, do you wanna react <laughs> to Bethard? I know I threw a lot at um, you there. Yeah. So the, the Bethard thing, it, it, it kind of worries me. And a couple of weeks ago, I was like, Oh, CJ Bethard could be a backup because he's, he started in this league and he just, he doesn't look like he's gotten any better. It just looks like he has, kind of stagnated with his development and you want at least some improvement out of your backup quarterback, uh, your second year backup quarterback in year two. And I think that, you know, he really hasn't shown that Nick Mullins, he's been pretty good, but we have to, with the caveat that Nick Mullins is playing against guys that probably won't be on an NFL roster this year. So I think that mm-hmm. if CJ Beathard really struggles in this, this upcoming game, the third game of the preseason, you're really going to see them try to push Nick Mullins to, to push CJ for that spot. You may see Nick Mullins come, come in against the twos or earlier in the fourth preseason game. Because the, the starters, all, we all know that the starters don't play in the fourth preseason game. Like it's, all, it's all just backups trying to fill out the back mm-hmm. of the roster and get through that game healthy. 
but you may see Nick Mullins coming earlier. He's been pretty impressive. Like, you know, he had an interception that wasn't his fault against Houston and he's, he's running a two minute drill well, and he's going through his progressions. And it's kind of funny because if you were to take the names off the jerseys, you would think that Nick Mullins was the backup quarterback. Yeah. So I think they have an issue of backup quarterback, but honestly, Al, like no matter who's backup quarterback, like if Jimmy goes down, like they're screwed. That's <laughs> yeah. plain and simple. <laughs> That's Not what it comes exactly. down to. Three win team. If Jimmy goes down. Yep. So you were talking about special teams a little bit. See, I, I think Mostert's a lock. I really do for the special teams. What were you thinking? Did you have something else in mind or some kind of shakeup that you thought was going to go down with that? Yeah, and I tweeted this out earlier this week. And the thought that I have is that is around the wide receivers. And they're all like, this is the first time in a while that the 49ers have six wide receivers who can all perform and catch the ball. Um, and looking at the bottom of the wide receiver depth chart, you've got Bourne, You've got Burbridge and you've got Richie James fighting for two slots, right? For the fifth and sixth wide receiver slot. Right. Burbridge plays only special teams. He doesn't really play receiver. Um, everybody else who's on the roster basically below those guys, I don't think is going to make the team. But focusing on those three guys, Burbridge plays special teams. Richie James is a seventh round pick this year. And Kendrick Bourne, who they're already really high on, I think will make the roster no matter what. Yeah, yeah, so really so. then it's, it's, it's Richie James and Burbridge for that last slot. And... Really, it comes down to which guy can contribute on special teams. Like, really, like they want the six wide receiver ideally to be able to to play some special teams. But here's my thought, Al. I really think that the emergence of DJ Reed, the cornerback who was drafted this year, I believe fifth round from Kansas, he has been playing some special teams as well. He was actually the second leading punt returner in the NCAA to Dante Pettis, who obviously the 49ers also drafted. So he's got that experience on special teams, and he was playing special teams against the Texans. I really think that they're trying the idea, toying with the idea of having DJ Reed play special teams so they can get rid of Burbridge and keep those top six wide receivers, and possibly Mostert as well. Um, otherwise, you have, to, you have to have special teams players out of summer. You're not going to play your starters on special teams. And I really right. think that they want to keep the top six wide receivers. They don't want a guy who just plays special teams. They want guys that can all catch the ball. Especially because with Pierre Garçon, they have an out after this year. They may have an opportunity to see who the, who the heir apparent is to take that slot. And if Pierre Garçon leaves or gets hurt or one of these guys gets hurt, each one of those guys moves up a slot. And if you've got six guys that can all catch the ball, you don't have to go to the free agency to sign a, you know, a guy just to fill the bottom of the roster. You already have that guy. And I think that Richie James have been really good. He started, he started the first game in the slot yeah. when yeah. Trent, Trent Taylor was out, and he was great. So they wouldn't put him in that position if they were just going to cut him, right? Like, I, I really think they're high on Richie James. And I think that they, they want to keep him. So you'll probably see Burbridge get cut and a guy like DJ Reed or even like uh, Tervarius Moore, who was another rookie that the uh, rookie corner play special teams. Makes sense. It really does. And, and like you said, uh, Richie James is somebody who, if they've tried to get him to the practice squad, he's not going to make it. Somebody's going to pick nope. that guy up. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense in, in, one thing you mentioned was in, in terms of replacing Garcon, and I, I do believe this is going to be Garcon's last year with the team. You got to like what you see from this receiver group. I mean, Pettis has looked like a rookie a couple of times, but he also looks like a freak out there. Yeah. Like he's just going to be able to make some plays and he's going to make some, some rookie plays. I didn't think the interception was really his fault. Could he have made the catch? Probably. But Garoppolo did throw it a little high. I, I didn't see where that was. Definitely Pettis' fault. It was a tough play, you know, but he'll eventually make plays like that. But you could just see him just out on the field, the way he moves. He's going to be a special player in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I really believe it. In James, 
like you said, he when he started in the slot, he made plays. He's a guy that, again, that Kyle Shanahan is going to put in a position to succeed. He's a perfect receiver for him. And the two guys that I'm getting more and more excited about are Marquise Goodwin and Trent Taylor because they just have a chemistry with Garoppolo. You can yeah. just see it. Taylor stepped right back in this week, and it just looks like him and Jimmy never left. You know, like they never left off. And same thing with, with Marquise Goodwin. I draft Marquise Goodwin on your fantasy teams. He's going to have a big season. He's going to have a really yeah. big season. And you could tell that Garoppolo trusts those two guys. And this receiver group, we talked about the defensive line. I, I love the D line. I, I really like the starting safeties. Obviously, the quarterback. I'm all about, but I'm excited about this receiver group. And I, when was the last time you could say that Zane about a nine, the Niners receivers? You really excited about the whole time. group? Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't even remember. Even the Harbaugh years, they weren't dominant. You had Bolden and in Crabtree for those couple of years, but it wasn't like a a group that you loved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, to have these, you're talking five, six guys deep right now. It's yeah. crazy, right? I mean, if if somebody goes down. And again, you're talking rookies, so it takes time to develop. But if, if one of these guys go down, you, you feel good about Pettis stepping in. You feel good about Richie James stepping in. You feel good about Bourne stepping in. So it's it's really exciting to see. And we still haven't seen anything with Garcon. How, and eventually, he's a vet. You know, He's somebody that Grapple is going to learn to trust, too. So it's going to be a special group. And I, I think they're going to throw a lot. And that's even before we put uh, George Kittle in the mix. So it, it's definitely going to be really exciting. With those, I I can't wait to see what this team does offensively this year in the passing game. I think I think it's going to be exciting. That's if well, if the league doesn't figure Jimmy Garoppolo out, right? Did you see that? <laughs> oh man, that what, that's ridiculous. All right, that I is. thought I was done complaining. I'm not. All right, I I got to go off on this too. So if you didn't if you didn't see or hear this yet, I believe Tony Romo was on 95.7 The game. No, no, Bill Romanowski. Oh, Bill Romanowski. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I saw Romo. Oh. Oh, that's even more ridiculous. Okay. So, um, <laughs> oh, I thought it was Tony Romo. That's kind of a misleading no. headline. It would help yeah, probably exactly. if I read the article too and just didn't, just, didn't, just didn't read the headline. But anyway, so it was Romanowski. So he says that he talked to someone very high up, in quotes, in New England who thinks that the league will figure out Jimmy G. That is a joke. And let me tell you why. First of all, the only QBs who get, quote unquote, figured out are quarterbacks who can't throw from the pocket. You know, mm-hmm. guys who are, are gimmicky or that sort of thing. QBs like Garoppolo, who, who who can throw from the pocket, they're fine week in and week out. They're always going to be able to play in the league. Not to mention, he's playing for one of the top o- offensive minds in the league. So Shanahan's going to scheme for him, scheme to his strengths, scheme to get guys open. And another thing that just was so stupid to me about that comment was, the league f- has figured everyone out. You don't mm-hmm. think, yeah. you've seen all the film in the world on Tom Brady. Tom Brady's been figured out. Aaron Rodgers has been mm-hmm. figured out. Everybody's figured out. The difference is that those guys adjust and they can still make the plays and their mm-hmm. coordinators or whatever put, you know, put the put, put them in a position to succeed. Everybody's figured out in the NFL. There, there's hours and hours and hours of film on these guys and we've seen these things, but the, but the great ones find a way and the people who can be a traditional passer in the NFL will always be successful. So to say that you could figure out a quarterback like Garoppolo, to me, it was, it was just a comical statement. And I apologize to Tony Romo. I thought it was Tony Romo. <laughs> I don't think Tony, they went to the same college, right? They both went to Israel. Yeah. So I don't was, think Tommy, well, this is one of his homies, defense, right? I don't think says, <laughs> Romo says a very high up in New England source says that they will figure out Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm going to tweet at 95.7 in the game and be like, you guys need to work on your headlines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, to here in the here in the Bay Area, there's only one Romo, and everybody knows who it is. But but yeah, always just, entertaining, Bill Romanowski. Yeah, all right, my fault. Yeah, my fault. Tony Romo. <laughs> yeah, it's 
I, I'm with you. Like, I just don't know where to start with these. Uh, Bill Barnwell, who, who I respect a lot, you know, he's one of the few at ESPN and, uh, that, I, that I really respect and read into. Even he put an article out, was like, oh, well, Jimmy Garoppolo, small sample size, this and that. So my, my response to all of these people, yes, it's, it is a small sample size. We keep going back to this because every, every week we, that he's successful and performs well, and he did perform well against Houston. He was great. Like, aside from that one throw that he had that was high, I thought he was great. Like, he was almost perfect. He was 10 of 12. He had the, he had the touchdown. He only threw one other incompletion besides the pick. So, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. For, that's what, exactly what you want from your, your starting quarterback in the preseason. Like, you don't want your, your guy throwing up a stinker like 4 of 12 for like 36 yards and a pick. You know, you want your guy out there efficient, you know, quickly gets in and gets out, doesn't take any big hits, and he's able to make plays. That's exactly what he did. And the more that you see him doing this, the more that you see people coming out and be like, oh, well, it's a small sample size, and oh, well, he didn't do this well, and he's immobile and whatever. All of that is total BS. It's all, it's all smoke. While some of that may be true, he's not, yeah, he's not mobile, but who cares? He's not a scrambling quarterback. He can, he's mobile enough to shift around in the pocket. Tom Brady's not mobile. Aaron Rodgers is the mo- isn't the most mobile guy in the world, and they're still successful. Phillip Rivers is the most, isn't the most mobile guy. So, I mean, like... All of these critiques that people have of Jimmy Garoppolo, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, that's, that's their own opinion. I don't really agree with it. But what I, my response to that is basically that he's produced at every single chance that he's got. Right. He's produced in New England for two games. He produced here for five games. He's produced in the preseason. He's produced against good teams. He's produced against bad teams. He's produced against stars. He's produced against backups. What else do you want? Like, that's... that's what I want to ask them, like, wh- how much else does he have, does he have to do to get your seal of approval? Because right now, he's literally every single chance that he's gotten, he's produced. So if he hadn't produced it any step of the way, I'd say, hey, yeah, you're right. He's got, he's, you know, he's got a bunch of work to do. But every single chance he's gotten, he's shined. So that's, that's all I have to say to those people. Did you see that touchdown pass he threw to Taylor where he's got a guy in his face and he just kind of oh, slings it? Phenomenal. You, like, phenomenal. You can't, you can't teach that. And that's what I mean. You could figure guys out. Okay, we know what he does. But look at what, look at the, you, you can't, you'll never be able to figure out a quarterback who could do things like that, make that kind of play. He, he, he's no. looked absolutely phenomenal and he's carried, carried this team through the end of last season. And you know what? He, he looked like he carried the team when he was in, in the preseason game. And he's probably going to carry the team all through the season. He's, he, he's got it. He really does. And, and that's not being a homer. That's not being like, oh, you know, he's, he wears red and gold. N- none of that. Garoppolo has it. And we've heard from people in the N- NFL on the show and off the air saying the same thing to us. Like, look, this guy is just going to be unbelievable. Like, he's got everything you want in a quarterback. Everything. He's got the moxie. He's, he's got the smarts. He puts in the work. He's got the arm. He's got everything that you want. And the one, the one, one knock on him was the deep ball. And you could tell that he's improving on it right throughout the preseason and throughout training camp. You could tell that it's been getting better as he's been going along. may not be perfect yet, but it's a part of his game that's improving. And you know what? Even if that is an average to below average part, he could still do everything else well enough where that's not really going to kill him. Tom Brady doesn't have a great arm anymore. You know, Tom Brady's not chucked at 50 yards down the field anymore. You know, mm-hmm. these you can, you can win with your brain and, and with scheme and everything else. So you can nitpick at grapple all you want to. The bottom line is the guy's primed for a big season and a big career. Yeah, and for those for those of you who are going to get Michael Lombardi's book, first of all, I've read it. I think it's it's freaking fantastic. Oh, it's so, um, good. so good. It's it's so good. And when I got to the part about Jimmy Garoppolo, like I 
earmarked that page. I took out a highlighter. I actually highlighted it because I'm like, this is how New England really feels about... I, I, I messed up my own copy, by the way, by highlighting it, but I mean, that's another story <laughs> and earmarking the page. But this is how they feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not going to spoil the, the, the story for everybody, but what Bill Romanowski said today is completely contrary to what Bill Belichick told Michael Lombardi about what yep. they felt about Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's all I'm going to leave, leave it at that. And I trust Bill Belichick a hell of a lot more than Bill Romanowski. I highlighted the same part you did. I'm going to, I was planning to read it when the book comes out because yeah, it's, it's amazing. If you had any doubt about Jimmy Garoppolo, what Belichick actually thinks of him, like your jaw is going to drop. Like Belichick loves him, loves him. And I'd love to read the book when it does come out, if it ever does comes out about what really happened last year behind the scenes with the Patriots, because you know, I, I don't want to take credit for this because somebody else said this and I can't think of who it was. Um, if you know, let me know. But they basically said that Garoppolo was Bill, Je- Bill Belichick, Steve Young, and they had to let him go. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's a really good comparison. He had this guy waiting in the wings to take, to take over for a legend, and he ended up having to force him out of town. So, yeah, it's, the Lombardi book is crazy, and I, I, I can't wait for people to hear that. But, yeah, it's, it's going to – listen, man, Jimmy's got it. He really, really does. So. Zane, another thing I wanted to complain about. What was it? Oh, the helmet rule. Oh, boy. That's absolutely ridiculous. Here's what I worry about with this, with the helmet rule. In a lot of ways last season, the whole catch rule thing ruined, ruined a lot of football games. It almost ruined yep. the Super Bowl. And I was glad that it came up in the Super Bowl because the NFL deserved it. And there were two Eagles touchdowns. Uh, the one was at the end of the half to the running back, and the Zach Ertz one, too. Technically, by the rule, they could have called back. Now, I think if that happened, they would have burned the stadium down. But that goes to show you how ridiculous that rule was. Now, the NFL, to their credit, did something about it. But in its place, they put a rule that could be just as burdensome to the league. This helmet rule, basically, you can't lead with your helmet, fine. And, and if somebody dives at somebody with their helmet and hits the other person's helmet, great. I understand if it's obvious and it's dangerous call personal foul on that throw them out whatever but to have this rule of just lowering your helmet in basic tackles are being called absolutely ridiculous it's going to cost teams games yep it's 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 amazing to me that every step the nfl just screws up it just shows how stupid the people running the league are i hope for their sake and for the sake of us for the sake of the fans who want to watch this game and enjoy this game and don't want to see this. I hope the NFL swallows its pride and says, you know what? We made a mistake. We're going to roll it back. Or at least tells the officials behind the scenes, you know what? Unless it's really obvious, don't call it. Because the preseason has been an utter disaster with these calls. A disaster. And if it continues through the season, I'm going to say it. People are going to get fed up. I, uh, people are, are talking about like, like the kneeling and everything else about losing viewership. People are not watching the NFL because of stuff like, because things like this. Because the rules like this. Because when games become flag fests, when penalties that aren't penalties get called and cost their teams games. People are going to be like, I'm not watching this. I don't want to watch this. I said it last season. For the most part, yeah, we had an exciting Super Bowl, and that left things off on kind of a positive note. Last season was garbage for the most part. You had all, mm-hmm. all these star players hurt. You had this, this catch rule that was ridiculous. You had flag fest. You had games that were hard to watch. Some of those Thursday night games were pathetic. They were mm-hmm. unwatchable. The NFL is lucky that they're almost like something you can't destroy because they become so popular, but they're trying so hard to tear themselves down. It's unbelievable. Just bad decision after bad decision. And this particular rule 
excuse me, more than anything in a, in a while really worries me. The players really don't know what to do. Richard Sherman came out earlier this week on Twitter and he was like, you know, just the, you can't change the physics of a tackle. Like there's only one way to tackle. And it, there are guys that are not, are not even leading with their head. They'll lead with their shoulder. Like that's how you wrap up. Like if anybody right. who's played football before, when they do tackling drills on like a tackling dummy, you put your head on one side and you put your shoulder on the other side. So, and, and sometimes your head is the first thing to hit, but you're not leading with your head. Yet you could, you, you're kind of grazing it with your head or whatever, right? Like, I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And they did this literally to appeal to the masses that are going to talk about these, this slew of concussion lawsuits that the NFL is about to have. Um, and if you, if you think the NFL give a crap about this before the concussion lawsuits, I mean, you're, you're dead wrong. Like, they, that's the only reason why they care about this, because they're getting, they're getting all this litigation against them for the safety of their game. This rule makes zero sense. And I'm with you. Like, I've been watching some of these preseason games and some of these tackles that have been flagged. And I, I, I just can't believe it. I'm like, that's, that's a clean tackle. The NFL is a violent game. People are going to get hurt. I mean, I, I, I hope and pray for everybody's safety and health and all that stuff that's playing. But when these players, when, when, I, when I talked to Brian Jennings a couple of years ago and I did an article on this, on, on concussions, he said that when NFL players play the game, they're very well aware that this is going to happen to them. They, they will get hurt and they will have long-term effects of playing the game. They know that. They willingly sign up playing, playing football knowing that they're going to have all of these effects. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not trying to be callous and say that these people aren't human beings, but I'm saying that you cannot take the violence out of football. You can't. It's tackle football. Like Unless you want to put flags on these guys or play two-hand touch, there will always be somebody getting hurt. Like they're, they're literally trying to change the game into something that's completely different. Like Trying to remove the contact from it. That's like saying that you can't like punch people in in UFC that it's only wrestling and and that's it like it just yeah it just doesn't make any sense to me and the the I don't know if you you heard this Al but the competition committee is having quote unquote an emergency meeting at the conclusion of the preseason to talk about this very rule and I think they're probably going to scale it back because there have been other things that they tried out the preseason that they haven't done in the, in the regular season I think this will be one of them but you can't like you can't conceivably think that this is actually going to work and make the game better. The product itself is already suffering for many reasons. Like, the, like you said, the anthem protests, the, the poor officiating, the lack of talent. Like the, the league is very, very watered down now. Um, it's not the same as it was you know, five, ten years ago in terms of talent. There are far few star players. There, there are more worse teams. There are more fringe players that shouldn't be, shouldn't be on any roster. Because it's, it's all about money, and you're having to pay the best players the most money. You can't fill the roster that way. So I, I, just, I just don't understand why the NFL would do this now. Um, like I said, there's probably a, a number of lawsuits that you'll see that are coming up in the, in the next couple of years. Um, and, and this is kind of just CYA from, from their part. Um, I just, I just I, like I'm just at a loss out. Like I can't, I can't fathom why they would even think of doing this at this point. Well, like you said, it's just, you know, it's a dog and pony show. It's all it is. Just, oh, look, yeah. we're trying to do some. They don't care about player safety. They care about player safety. They don't have games on Thursdays. You can guys exactly. come back in three days and play a football game again when their bodies aren't physically ready. That, if you got rid of Thursday night games, they'd say, okay, they're doing something for player safety, but they don't care because it makes them money. I don't care. Roger Goodell's like, that guy's a clown. Just an absolute clown. It's, it's unbelievable. And I was happy that the players are coming out and saying something. I love what Richard Sherman said. 
you know, he's coming out and saying, you know, I want a video of you running full speed and yep. being able to leave anything but your head. Let, let's see. You can't do it. It's impossible. Like you said, yep. it's, it's just absolutely going to hurt the game. And I, I didn't hear about the competition. They're, they're having a meeting. I did not hear about that. They are. Yeah. They're having one. They're having oh, like an emergency meeting God. before the. Yeah. They, because they have to address it. There's, there's no way. Look, I'm not even blaming the officials on this because they're doing what they're told, right? They're, they're literally trying to call an impossible rule. And they're, they're trying to hit a moving target because like, it's like, okay, what is, what is a clean tackle? What is not a clean tackle? Like they, the league has made it so hard on the officials by putting all of these stupid rules in to complicate the game. And that brings down the quality of play because every single, I mean, replay, replay review is awesome. And I'm, I'm glad that they're, that they have it. But when you're sitting in a close game and your team scores a go ahead touchdown and you're waiting to celebrate because you don't know if it's a touchdown because you're waiting for the booth review, it takes away from the game. It really does. I need a drink. I really do. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, well, yeah, you know what, though? I, thanks, thanks to the fans for listening to me complain this show. And I, I promise I'll be in a better mood next week. Well, I hope I'll be in a better mood next week. Let's see how the game goes. I don't want to make yeah. any promises. So if we'll, we'll start our predictions once, once, the, once the season starts, too, because I'm sure people yeah, are yeah, yeah. for yeah. our yeah, yeah, you can't, predictions. Yeah, you can't well. really do, do preseason predictions. But yeah, we'll see how this game goes. You know, this is the dress rehearsal coming up. Just knock on what everybody comes out healthy. And, and then after that, it's just, you know, who cares about the fourth preseason game? It's just really just getting ready for the season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that what the, the, the biggest thing that we can take away from this, this preseason game is that this is the, the most extended time the starters will get. Jimmy Garoppolo will probably play at least a half, maybe three quarters. So, um, I think that the, you'll see what the offense will look like the most in this, in this game. Uh, when it comes to the regular season. So this is one of the games that you want to pay attention to. Traditionally, this is the, 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 like you said, the dress rehearsal for the starters. And, and the next week is literally just, let's just get through it healthy and cut down the roster to 53 and, and rock and roll. Um, but before, before we go out, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to Peter Panacey, who was filling in for me last time. Um, he did a great job. I was listening to the show on the way, on the way to work the other day. And, and you guys were awesome. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, good knowledge come from Peter. For those of you who don't know him, you follow him on Twitter, uh, read his stuff. He's he's a really knowledgeable guy, really great guy. I've, I've uh, you know been following him for a while now, and he's and he's great. So, shout out to Peter for for doing that. And uh, as I was leaving the plane, Al, I was wearing my 49ers jersey, and the game was actually on underway at that time. Mm-hmm. And I got off here in the Bay Area, and um, the flight was coming from from Chicago. So it was all like Chicago flight attendants and stuff. So I was wearing my 49ers shirt and the guy was like, oh, you know, like the, the game is tied right now. Jimmy's looking good. And, and I thought to myself, I'm like, man, the excitement around this team is unbelievable. Yeah. And it's been a long time since like I've been wearing like a Niners shirt. It's not the first time that somebody's made a comment like, oh, the Niners are going to look good this year and, and, and whatever they may say. We were getting that a couple of years ago. Like we weren't. Like the, the excitement level around this team and around the Bay Area and just around the organization has been amped up literally because of one guy. So, I mean, I, you know, I just can't help but think that, that they're really going to not, maybe not this year, but they're really going to make a hard push at, at least at the very latest next year to try to get it, to try to get this to be a championship contending team. And it's super exciting to be a 49er fan right now. Did you have a 49ers web zone, no huddle podcast t-shirt on that you could find at 49erswebzone.com under the podcast tab? Did you have that shirt on? I, I did not, but okay. the next time I fly, I will. <laughs> And again, fans, oh, go for it. That, that's where we sell them. If you want one, go for it. They're really nice shirts. Uh, 
think I'm the only one who has one. Do you even have one yet, Zane? I do. I actually do have one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's, there's two more people money. who have them, and they're the hosts. Of the more show. money in our pocket. Yeah. Yes. But... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zane. Looking forward to this third preseason game. We'll see how the Niners do. And again, I will try to be more positive next week. And hopefully this team allows me to do that. For Zane Nakfi, this is Al Sacco. Thanks, everybody. Peace.